This feels like a momentous episode because for more than 156 continuous weeks, we have produced new episodes every week, now for more than three years. Um, And the vast majority of them, almost all of them, have been with new guests every week. There have been a couple of parts one and two. This week is one of them um, because they were very special. One of them was with my therapist. But for three years and more than 90% of them, not in a studio or, you know, over satellite or Zoom or some kind of Skype or FaceTime, they've been face-to-face. Now, during COVID, you know, in 21, 22, you know, even in, 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 in 2020, that's, that's amazing. That's astounding. From Santa Monica to Harlem in New York City to Tampa, Florida, face-to-face, the vast majority of them here in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I'm based, some of them have been in a studio, but most of them have been face-to-face, like today with today's guest, went to her home, got in the car, went to her home. Now, a lot of people have said, Stuart, you, you don't have time for this. And I've said, it feeds my soul. It really does. I end up learning so much. The main thing I had to learn more than anything was to shut up and to, to not just to listen, but to be open, to be open to being wrong, to be open to learning, to be open to having expectations which were just wrong. Um, and that's the only way I learn is by, and I, and I include those usually. So if you've been along for any period of time, you've been along for the messiness that is this podcast, where I get it wrong, where I don't listen, but it has been so instructive. I have learned so much um, by not being the teacher, but by being the student. One of the things I've learned is that people want to hear me talk more. So you'll hear, uh, you'll hear me, you know, a conversation is engaging. It's going both ways. It can't be all way. I mean, an interview could be, an interrogation could be question, answer, question, answer. It's really not like that. I mean, it's a, a lot of give and take. And um, and so I just, it's, it's just fascinating. Today's uh, guest is a part B. It's a part two of... Um, a woman who was recommended, well, you'll hear her, you'll hear her. She was recommended by a woman named Erin Cobb. And Erin Cobb was a Marine who um, was nearly killed by her husband uh, when she returned from the combat zone in Iraq. Uh, And she had taken a women's studies class um, upon returning from Iraq at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte here in town and had this woman, Kelly, as her professor. And just they each learned so much from the other and became very, very dear friends. And Kelly started writing books 
And you'll hear about that. You'll hear about that coming up. But, you know, just a fascinating guest. But I mainly wanted to say thank you, and I'm so grateful, and we're not going to stop doing this. And I had a friend ask me recently, very successful in business, he said, you know, how much money have you made on this podcast? And I said, I've lost money. In the aggregate, I've probably lost tens of thousands of dollars. He said, why are you doing it? And I said, because it feeds my soul. Every single episode has fed my soul and ultimately may feed my business, my other businesses, particularly Voice Locket, which I hope you'll check out, voicelocket.com. But I said, it feeds my soul. And he said, how much is your soul really worth? And, you know, I know he was trying to be funny and cynical, but this, this, this thing really means a lot to me. And it has been a life lesson in learning to listen better to my wife, to my daughters, you know, to the, to the women who are most important to me in my life. It is, it has really been an education and, and it has fed my soul. So thank you for being along for the ride. We'll only get better. I have a new assistant, Dominique. She's been on the podcast and Dominique Johnson, um, shout out. She's, she's going to help me line up some more guests in the coming weeks. Got one next week that I can't wait to do. So thank you without further ado. The body is your product. It is ultimately your product and yours alone. This is In Her Words, a podcast from manlisting.com, featuring one man listening to the stories of real women in their own words. In Her Words, a conversation worth hearing because every woman deserves to be heard. Hey there, and welcome to the beginning of the fourth year. We've made it three years, and they said it couldn't be done. Uh, So thank you for coming along for the ride. This is In Her Words, the podcast in which one man tries to learn to listen to women, one at a time, and learns so much. Uh, A fellow writer this week, Kelly Finley, who writes in a very different genre. Last week you heard her talk about... uh, becoming a women's studies major and then a women's studies professor, teacher, and women's and gender studies at UNC Charlotte. And now her other side, uh, the erotic, exciting side. She's written a series of books, five books uh, that are in, this is in this erotic, um, uh, uh, What's the what's the other part of it? It's not just it's not the old Harlequins. It's also exciting. What what is the name of this genre? It's it's erotic fiction, but it's also um, you know uh, suspense. That's what it is. Uh, like uh, mysteries and stories in which there's a dramatic tension in these books. Um, I'm not look her up on Amazon. Look at the books. It's uh, Kelly Finley, F-I-N-L-E-Y, and we talk writing. We talk writing and publishing, so if you're ever interested in writing, the writing process, reading, storytelling, that kind of thing, Kelly Finley has a lot to say. And we start by, um, and, and keep returning to our friend uh, Aaron Cobb, 
who learned writing for a different purpose, writing to heal, writing journals, that kind of thing. So we talk about writing for publishing and also writing just for the soul. Kelly Finley. For someone like Aaron and for yourself, um, you do different types of writing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you keep a journal? No, I don't. Mm -mm. I don't keep a journal. I, um, I'm more, I, until recently, I'm more of a, um, I like orator, if you will, teaching and talking with students. You put me in front of a thousand students, 150 students. I like um, talking, the vocal, the vocalization more than writing. Well, we're sitting here in front of stacks of books you've written. <laughs> yeah. So, um, speak first to Aaron does write to the power of writing in like a daily journal or whatever mm -hmm. to actually healing because there are books and books about writing to heal mm -hmm. about um, the cathartic power of writing the resilient power of writing of getting it out to get a little distance between um, myself and you know my better nature mm -hmm. sitting there watching me you know fuck up yeah <laughs> The power of writing. I, to me, it's, it's not even just writing. It's the power of your voice. And writing is a manifestation of your inner voice. It's your inner voice onto paper. And that's a process for humans. It's very cathartic. But writing, you know, is also your voice could also manifest in music and you make music. Um, or art, because some people don't feel as comfortable with the written word. They find it too limit, limiting to, you know, put into emotion a word when you can put it in a color. So what is far more important to me is, and this is another reason why I started a nonprofit um, based upon my, my daughter's experience um, when she was being bullied at school. And I said, did you say anything? She goes, no, by, by some boys. And she's like, no, mama, I did it. And I was like, okay, I can't stand to have a child grow up in this world. Not stand like mad, like I, 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 I'm not doing my job if I don't teach this child that she has a voice and she can use it. And um, so I found about Girls Rock and started Girls Rock here in Charlotte. And it's not about music. It's about we the mantra we used to teach the girls is, girls, what's your instrument? And they shout back, my voice. And it doesn't matter whether you're playing the drums or a microphone or you're writing a book. You have something to say and say it. And you have a right, my biggest thing is you have a right to say it. Even if nobody's listening to your ass, just say it. You know, sing it, say it, write it. Um, that to me is the power of the voice. And, you know, for Aaron, you know, and many people who are experiencing trauma, it's, it's you know, getting out on paper a lot of, you know, the voices in your head, um, your own and other people. So, but for me, I can't play a lick of music, even though I started a nonprofit. So I went back to what I like to do as a girl, which is writing stories. And I, I, and I, I don't, I never liked to journal. I went straight to the creative. I went straight to writing stories. I loved Charlotte's Web growing up, for example. I must have read that book 10, 15 times. So I've always loved it. So how many books have you published? I have published in 2022, my first five books. I started writing them in 2020 and I was inspired 
by many resources, many things I look back on, but one was this concept of, ooh, I'm going to write a really badass heroine who I haven't read yet because I like romance books. So I've been reading non-academic books for 30 years, philosophy and everything. Don't get me wrong, I love them. But I'm like, I wanted to check out. You know, give me something fun. Give me romance. And the heroines would frustrate me. Um, I remember so many students, Aaron being one of them, said, what do you think of Fifty Shades of Grey? I'm like, oh, crap. Now I'm going to have to read that book. <laughs> and did you read it? Yeah, I did. I read all three of them. And what did you think of it? Um, I think if the guy had driven a Honda Accord and lived in an apartment, that story never would have happened. Because, again, it kind of speaks to the narrative of the controlling, stalking guy if he's rich and white and hot then that's what everybody wants. Um, and then, of course, it was, I mean, I'll give mad respect to E.L. James that, but she's also more like an Erica Jong, pushing the boundaries of women's sexuality and what can be told and portrayed in, in uh, literature, for example. So um, that, of course, I got the whole BDSM and you know the uh, uh, sensationalism of that and people finally talking about that. I get that, and that's totally cool. Um, Do you think it's easier for women to write sex? Because I've heard men say, ah, it's really hard, difficult to write sex. I don't know. I'm not a man. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't know. Um, Maybe it's because, I mean, I don't know. I I have yet to read men who I thought did it well. Um, but you know what though? Like I think about like some of the romance poets of the romance era, if you will, mostly all white men and they did connect to emotion. Keats is like my all time favorite. Um, and, um, Ode on a Grecian Urn is still one of my favorite poems. The couple suspended and never get to kiss. I'm not so freaking romantic. (laughs) So it's not that men can't write about it. Um, I don't, maybe people, you know what? Like we talk about voice, maybe they're just not being published yet. Yeah. You know, maybe they got to, you know, people aren't buying their stories. They want you to write a thriller. No, write about somebody killing somebody, not somebody loving somebody. Yeah. So maybe that's some of it too. But uh, yeah, I... And why'd you decide to write romance? Um, because it's fun for me. Actually, I wanted to write a romance, but it's romantic suspense. So it's a woman who's a former Marine. So I did dedicate my first book to Erin. Um, She's a former Marine who goes on to become a bodyguard. Um, And she's on a set protecting a girl who's being stalked or an actor who's being stalked. And then she does what you're not supposed to do, which she falls in love with the hot actor on set. Uh And here here starts a huge meta story, actually, with what's going on for this Marine, who's Charlie, who's actually Charlotte after Charlotte's Web in my hometown. So there's Uh all kinds of homage. But I also just wanted to write... Um, and what I'm loving now is the readers who, women, almost exclusively, who are telling me they're so, they love finally reading a heroine that they can connect with because they're badass but compassionate. Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, what's the book? Hornet's Nest. Mm-hmm. You know the one I'm talking about. Um, yeah. Yeah, that one. The Girl with the Dragon. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Read, Thank you. I read three of them, including the posthumous ones. Yes. They got more and more kind of unwieldy. Yeah. Badass books, don't get me wrong. I love, you know, the character's incredible. But oftentimes when you have the, the retribution story or the revenge story, and it's the woman, it's void of sexuality. 
healthy sexuality. Right. Very unhealthy. Yes. And that's like, well, that's not fair. That's not all women. You know, women could be a trauma survivor and still have a healthy sexuality. Um, Women could beat the ever living shit out of the asshole, excuse me, but that's in the sentiment. But at the same time, um, she'd be extremely compassionate to really good people. We are complex. And so that's one of the things that frustrates me is I'm like, I want to read a really cool kick butt woman but I want hot sex. Is that impossible? <laughs> <laughs> and so you wrote it. <laughs> and so I wrote it. I've written it five times now and I'm writing it again. Um, the first heroine is a former Marine. And then I went on to my next heroine is a cop, which I know a lot about because I'm married to one. And then one of my other favorite women students um, is a cop and she's undercover right now. So I interviewed her cause she's vice. And um, we had a really cool uh, lunch and I've known her for years, but that's something, again, you don't hardly ever see when the woman's the cop or the FBI agent, she gets to have no sexuality. Um, and I wanted to flip the gender script. That's often in romance stories where the man saves a woman's honor. I'm like, well, I want the woman to save the man's honor. Wow. So that was the one that I just released this past October like a duet. So it's just been fun taking my gender lens and putting that to romance books. And it's not to decide. I love you know, I read all kinds of romance books from dark romance to, you know, rom-coms to, I read a little bit of everything. I love it all. I'm not going to hate and judge on one. I just want to, I just write as my favorite quote, Toni Morrison, if there's a book that you want to read, but it hasn't been written, you must write it. I'm like, okay, well, I want to read this. So I'm just going to write it then. Why'd you decide to self-publish? I knew that publishers wouldn't take these kind of books. It's one, not what they're buying right now. It's extremely competitive. It's not what they're buying, you know. um, What do you call the genre? uh, It would be romantic suspense, contemporary romance. Mm -hmm. Steamy, as they say, it's steamy romance too. It's not, you know, clean romance. So school me, since I didn't, I've never figured out how to do it. How do you you mark it? Not easily. Um, I... You, there's no way to do it without social media. Mm. Um, so while I was writing, um, I started to, I ventured out onto Instagram and started to follow book people. I started to follow other authors. That was about two years um, before I released my books myself. So I did hire editors and spent money on that um, because even as an English major, I'm not a a fiction. I was not a fic- trained as a fiction writer. I, was, I still have a lot to learn. A lot to learn. How about cover design? Did you hire somebody? <sighs> yes. I um, hired a cover designer and I actually lucked out with a really good one who's mm-hmm. done some um, I like the covers. Books. Thank the you. Covers are very... Thank you. I wanted um, the first two, like the first three are the marine stories and I wanted the, you know, the duet or the duot- duality of the man with the woman and the heroine and stuff like that. Um, And then the second ones are different. Um, I wanted this really to flip the concept in the genre. There's called the alpha male. Mm -hmm. You know, they call them their alpha male, you know, the trope. Um, Well, I wanted to take somebody who looks like the alpha male, but has actually survived trauma. Mm -hmm. And and that's the story of the woman who said, well, I'm going to avenge your honor. So um, I love this idea of putting a hyper-masculine looking guy on there but when you read the story you're like and people love him now because they're like oh my god we love this character (laughs) because i think more women want to read that 
you know, we don't want to read the, not all, some do, some love those guys and it's like you go for it. But I've also had other people, women readers say, I like the emotionally, emotionally vulnerable and complex men that you write. Mm. I just want to give them also respect, just like our heroines too. And I'm, <clears throat> I'm just one guy, but um, I think the notion of just having sex with someone that's a little passe yeah it's boring it it is mm -hmm. kind of boring i mean it won't be long at all if now i mean we're getting closer and closer to the android mm -hmm. the sex bots mm -hmm. and and so it's going to be like why that's yeah. just messy and complicated mm -hmm. um and so it it it's like going backward to the notion of like a whole context mm -hmm. of a relationship. Yeah. As opposed to this, you know, spasmodic act, mm -hmm. you know. And, 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 and so, I, you know. I, I, I mean, when, when Charlie Sheen, a lot of guys say this, um, I don't pay them to have sex with me. I pay them to leave. There's something terribly lonely and sad about that. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So people who would like aspire to that, that's like, like my fantasy would be to find somebody who's super hot and sexy that I would want to spend time with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's my fantasy. Oh, yeah. If you can't hold a conversation, mm -hmm. if you wouldn't want to have dinner or go like walk down the beach and talk about stuff. Mm -hmm. Have fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and to me, it's interesting. It's, well, it is not a uh, coincidence that romance is the biggest selling, you know, genre. Yeah. Um, and more and more are indie authors because publishers aren't, picking up on all the stories that, the diverse types of romance stories that women want to read. Um, you know, there's just this usually one very clean version, which again, nothing against it. Some people really, really love that. And great, you know, in, you know like for the, right now, the Colleen Hoovers of the world, she's a fantastic writer, very emotionally complex in depth. And, and I think to your point, we don't get enough of that. Nowadays, we become so disconnected that romance is one of those flat, few times where you get back into the angst and the passion and the connection of, of characters that we don't always see anymore or read anymore. We don't even get ourselves anymore. Um, it's sad to me. So I, it's not a coincidence to me that it's become such a big, it's just blown up as a genre is concerned. If I were a writer, I would, um, and I've thought about this before, but I don't know nearly enough about it. I would like a character who is a some kind of a sex worker. I'm thinking like a stripper, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but who is uh, not working her way through law school. She's, <laughs> she's actually um, kind of self-aware, like yeah, very yeah. self-aware, like understands exactly why she she's does it. She's a Marxist it. feminist, I would call well, it. Well, but it's not... <laughs> She's still kind of somewhat uncomfortable mm -hmm. with the choice she makes to do it. Mm -hmm. um, 
but she forms these sort of mature relationships. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. you can throw, you know, um, like sort of detective work into that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that by virtue of where she is, she's privy to great information. Idea. A great idea. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. Go, go, <laughs> go, go right. And, um, but the problem is, is that I've been told that um, the notion of the self-empowered, self-actualized, self-aware sex worker is a unicorn. That it's, it, it, it occurs, but it occurs so rarely that it is, you're, you're like saying that this, it's kind of like pretty woman, mm. you know, mm -hmm. that's just like a, that's just like a complete fiction. I don't know if it's always necessarily complete fiction. It's a rare fiction. And so in some ways it's like then tell even more of a reason to tell it. Yeah. Because it's not to dismiss or minimize that a lot of people who find themselves in uh, sex work are survivors themselves of some type of sexual violence and or just economically exploited as well. Um, but it is totally possible. And to me, again, back to the feminist academics, it's technically Marxist feminism. The body is your product. It is ultimately your product and yours alone. If you want to play basketball with it, nobody says the basketball player or the football player or the whatever, you know, they're, they're using their body as a commodity. Mm -hmm. So why is it a unicorn that if you want to use your body as a commodity on a stage for, for sex, sexuality, it's totally possible. It's just not probably well, as it's common. It's more like we don't know everything that's driving us because the stereotype I heard was strippers either hate men and want to show them what they cannot have and get them to pay for the privilege mm -hmm. or are desperate for the attention of all men mm -hmm. and want to be the center of attention mm -hmm. um, and the source of universal sort of acclaim and acclamation and, and you know, affirmation. Mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, strippers who are it's just a J-O-B, mm -hmm. that that is a little bit of a kind of a story we tell ourselves, oh, I can just make so much more money doing this, but you have to overcome so many other things mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. order to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I think I've thought about this probably more than I should have. No, I as, think it's Not a as thing. an aficionado of strip bars, because I'm not a big strip bar guy. Mm -hmm. I think... I think, again, kind of going back to the concept of body as commodity, Yeah. you know, because many of us don't have professions actually where our bodies are our commodities, our intellect, you know, mm -hmm. or it's our labor, our hands, you know, if, you know, or different other ways. Right. But I'm thinking about more like the physicality, the performance of body as commodity, ballet dancer. Right. To football player or stripper. Um, what's interesting to me, the contrast could be um, a ballet dancer is not is has a safe distance of audience is exposed to a different echelon on average of certain people a football player is well compensated and is kept safe well that's not true some are some are thank you um but a stripper could take to the stage because they like to dance 
because they have, they see, thankfully, hopefully, no shame in human sexual, consensual human sexuality, and they like to dance and actually love doing this. I mean, it's, that's just possible. However, they're going to find themselves amongst people who act violently, exploit, you know, exploitive. That takes a toll, you know? And I think about, like, police officers, why some go into it, not all. Well, I heard a stripper yeah. refer to it not to get away from strippers, mm-hmm. um, that uh, it's an energy exchange. And I'm like, and that's not always good. You know, it depends on I who mean, you're exchanging energy with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes. And whether somebody is actually sort of a vampire. Mm-hmm. But, you know, here's the thing. We don't magic mic women. Why can't women be, you know, the... Right, you know? I get it. And I'm well, like, magic so... magic mic, kind of sad. Yeah, it does have some aspects of that, definitely. It is, and it's talking about the quantification of men bodies and having to, you know, treat your body a certain way. Um, And, you know, you could definitely see that. Um, I still think it's a fascinating concept. And that's what makes fiction fun, you know, is just like, well, I'm just going to write this character. And, you know, you're always going to piss off 10 or 20% of the people and you're going to have people called BS, but you're going to have people who really, really want to read it. And even if it's not 100% true, it gives them something that I just had somebody message me on Instagram about, they just started reading Pierce Her. um, And they just said, I just really, really, really love that book. Thank you for writing a woman like that. And I'm like, Wow. Okay. And I'm like, I kind of want, I wanted to click, tell me more, <laughs> but I didn't get into it. But I'm like, just reading a woman who's different, you know, is, I guess, you know, empowering for some people. It doesn't have to, how realistic is it that a woman goes on to be a Marine to a bodyguard and falls in love with the Henry Cavill's or whatever of the world? Probably not. I don't know. But it's a great story. <laughs> well, it's a great it, fiction. It is improbable that life ever exists. Mm-hmm. It is improb- exponentially improbable that any individual life exists. Mm-hmm. And so if something is possible, who cares what the probability exactly. is? Exactly. So it's that's possible. That's what fiction is. That's my point. So it's possible there is a self-actualized, non-victimized woman Oh, I think there are probably a number of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, especially yeah. in this day and yeah. age. And I think that's a fascinating story. Um, yeah. I'll probably carve this portion of our conversation out and yeah, yeah, yeah. release it separately. Mm-hmm. Um, when you held the first... Mm-hmm. rushes or the prototype mm-hmm. of your first book in your hand what did that feel like in your body uh butterflies <laughs> butterflies in the chest um back to child like i don't even think as a child i felt that way um it's such an individual undertaking as far as like to sit down and write one hundred and ten thousand words is just um and then to finally hold it in your hand i can't even it was a visceral experience that's for sure um and then when i released this one in october you see you know when it drops in, on amazon um it was very emotional for me because that story was probably far more emotional than anything um so you know we talk about cathartic fiction fiction writing could be cathartic too not just journaling you know, just telling someone else's story um, can be just as healing as telling your own. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
it was an incredible experience. And um, I felt very lucky. The muse hit me. That bitch kept waking me up at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Four o'clock in the morning, asked my husband. He's like, oh my God. I'm like, she won't shut up. Here she is. And then what came one book became three books. And I'm like, and then became five books. And now I've got three more I want to write. She and I'm like, please don't go now. Please keep waking me up at four o'clock in the morning. That's totally fine. Um, I need more time. Somebody just give me more time. Um, what notes did your editor give you that you found particularly useful that helped with the success of books to make the process a little smoother? Uh, about crafting um, suspense, you know. Um, Holding back. Holding back, always having more than one possible bad person, if you will. Um, like who is the bad bad guy or you know the bad you know the the, the evil character. Um, working on um, pacing and, and and being realistic. So I do do a lot of research. Like I interviewed Aaron a lot about being in the Marines. I interviewed my stepson who also served in Afghanistan. Um, did a ton of research. I keep expecting Homeland Security to show up at my house <laughs> any day. Um, and then, um, and then when I wrote about a woman cop interviewing um, a wom another woman cop, and then my neighbor's also a retired cop. Um, I think I freaked them out because I'm like, if I had to kill somebody, this is how I'd do it. And they're like, God, you're good. I'm like, I know. My husband says it all the time because how did you know that? I was like, I'm just. I just can. I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> I do it all the time. I, I, I don't go too far down that path, mm -hmm. but because I don't, I'm a white man. I don't think about killing other people. I think about killing myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. the. Um, but um, it's it's people lack imagination let's just put it that mm -hmm. way <laughs> well I, what frustrated me was also like for example i put on netflix and we were all stuck at home um for so long you know and um you just don't see a I still see the superhero genre still overwhelmingly white male and you know when we talk about like mm -hmm. you know to circle back um we love our superheroes stories and, you know, Black Panther and Wonder Woman were finally, you know, finally give us those characters. They were so great. Um, but there's the other side of the superhero story of what you don't get to suffer when you don't get to say, you know, and when they're all the, the white men that they have been in the past. But what frustrated me is I'm like, we need more of those stories and more people aren't telling those stories. Um, and we're not seeing like the woman as the chosen one or the person of color as the chosen one, you know, the, the hero to save them all. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I wanted to write them. Just keep more and more out there because even if your audience is this big, you still have people reading it and it means something to them. Right. That's cool. That's one of the coolest things to me. Yeah. You get to see it reach. Mm -hmm. And, you know, most Authors want to have their books read, but plenty of authors are like, I understand there'll only be 20 people, mm -hmm. but for those 20 people, yeah. it'll be very, very meaningful. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's nice to get to, to have it both, definitely. Um, and then there's the business side of it. But um, 
ultimately, and my thing is this, I just can't stop writing. And if mm-hmm. you tell me I have to stop writing, it's going to make me very sad. Would you like to see this as a Netflix series? Oh, my gosh, yeah. I've had other people tell me that. And because I have friends who, she's based on a movie set, so I even introduced my, uh, read, talked to some of my friends who are like producers of The Walking Dead and stuff like that. And I've been to a movie set and I've been to a studio. Um, and I'm like, this is a really fascinating concept. So I'm like, it's actually a really, to me, a fascinating idea. Most bodyguards are not women, but they actually make really good bodyguards. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a microcosm of a world. So it's just, yeah, I'd love to see it just for anything to see more women portrayed that way. But she has to have sex. That's my point. <laughs> We've got plenty of women FBI agents, you know. We've got plenty of homelands out there. But we don't, you know, but her, her sexuality was so problematic, it wasn't healthy, you know, because she tragically was suffering from mental health issues. Um, talking about Carrie of Homeland. Mm-hmm. But um, I want to see somebody who's just completely well-rounded in that way somebody who just has a little we don't it's like you can you can either have sex life or you could have this show over here which well, can't I don't help know how um, healthy we could argue you know James Bond does not have really relationships until the last one though kind of yeah yeah, yeah he yeah. started to uh-huh. started to put the and have them off <laughs> <laughs> oh darn that's what happens when you fall in love James <laughs> it's a weakness exactly it's a weakness. watch it's, what happens it's your kryptonite <laughs> please do look up Kelly Finley on uh, Amazon F-I-N-L-E-Y K-E-L-O-Y Kelly Finley and check out the books um, fascinating absolutely fascinating premise of women as fully formed not having dysfunctional sexual relationships and and relationships but having fully formed empowered heroes women as the heroes of their own stories thank you kelly for all your time in her words is a production of the queen city podcast network in cooperation with balto creative media Allison Andrews at Andrews Creative, Rachel Clapp Miller and Roshonda Pratt are developmental producers. Sally Higgins at Higgins and Owens tries to keep us legal. Our music is A Day at the Park by the group Pictures of the Floating World. Your announcer is Katherine Smith. That's me. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and take a moment to rate and review. It really helps others find us. If you love us, go to our Patreon page at p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com. Look for Man Listening. One word, no spaces. A small investment makes a big difference in lifting up the voices of women. Thank you so very much. I can't tell you how grateful I am to you for supporting Man Listening. Um, Manlistening.com, in her words, the podcast, and also now Voice Locket. Voicelocket.com. Love to help you tell the stories of your ancestors, the stories of the people and the voices most important to you. Voicelocket.com. Thanks so much. Thank you for your support. We believe one voice can change the conversation. Thanks so much. <laughs>